Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall, which fantastic so far during this playoff run, RJ. I mean, you've you've been down there for those two first road games in Colorado. Looked like a heck of a time. Even had you judging a beard contest which i mean no offense rj i no offense i know you probably agree with me i can't think of a worse judge for something like that <laughs> gotta agree 100 percent here i am not qualified in the slightest to judge a beard contest i mean if you're watching the video version of this on youtube just look at me no there's, there's no way i should be judging a that's beard his playoff beard, beard everybody right there yeah, here it is. Look at that. It's uh, on par with Ellie Tolvanen. Um, it's uh, it's going real well. But it was a fantastic time at the Beer Hall. I mean, it was absolutely rocking both games one and game two. Uh, and they've involved us really heavily in everything, too. I mean, we, as you mentioned with the beard contest, we've been involved in everything throughout the games. They got a lot of great entertainment. We did trivia game one. That was kind of more my speed. I think I'm a little more qualified for that. Uh, lots of fun stuff going on at the hall. So um, always a great place to watch watch a game definitely definitely and i love seeing everybody in the community talking about going there as well and having a good time as well as you know even some other places around town i just i love the energy of seattle sports fans like it's just it's fantastic really really love it um obviously gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about in this one because the first three games of the kraken's first ever playoff series have they're in the books uh kraken are down 2-1 in the series there's been some good stuff happening especially through the first four periods of the series then there's been some rough stuff like the last five periods of the series uh we'll break it all down um and and talk about the series uh in just a little bit here but rj you know playoffs it's all about playing through playing through the pains and those 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 little things and trying to find that extra gear and you know the players out there certainly feeling that this series has been really physical far more physical than the kraken have had to play all year long all that stuff and you know what i feel like we're also embodying some of that you know what I mean? Fighting through some of the more challenging aspects of playoff coverage. You having to dig out the bar mitzvah suit and me having to pick <laughs> just I'm still finding uh, cookie sprinkles from that game one and the Afra treats in my comforter that she was burying all over the place. I'm still digging crumbs out of that every night. Uh, so, you know, feels like we're right in there with the guys. Right, RJ? Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you categorize uh, the the cookie sprinkles in your bed. As far as I think, I go with just you know, kind of upper body, you know, day to day with the with the shirt that's a little too small, just pinching at my neck, uh, with with the tie, uh, you know, the bar mitzvah tie. So maybe that works for me. I don't know how the coach is supposed to explain what exactly you've got going on. Well, okay, you know what? Then the first thing I'm going to talk about. This is something. Um, it's yeah, I feel like this year in the playoffs for for general for the NHL, there's just been so much uh, this person's out undisclosed injury, like just all over the place. And I'm like, what's the point of injury declaration if you can just say it's undisclosed? Yeah, at least give us an upper or, or lower body like you used to. I, I think it's trending in that direction where we're just not not getting anything. And um, yesterday was really weird with the, you know, Morgan Geeky just taking a maintenance day. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, good reason. And, and it was true. It wasn't an injury. You know, he was there for for the birth of his child and, and congrats to to him and their family. Um, but uh, yeah, and then, and then, of course, not playing with normally a maintenance day. You'd think that uh, he would be. And same thing on the abs, too. There was a maintenance day situation with Larry Nachushkin. He 
I guess, has left Seattle. He got on a plane and left. We don't know what's up with him, personal reasons. Hope everything's okay there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just seems odd, a lot of the uncertainty. I don't know. Did you, Dylan, did you have to take like a bed maintenance day? Is that what we're going to call it? <laughs> Clean up the bed? No, I mean, I guess I'm taking a hair maintenance day. I'm trying to hide it under the beanie here just because it is it is really rough, everybody, let me tell you. Um, all right, let's, let's get into the actual hockey here. Uh, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. We'll do like, a, I guess, a quick recap of the games played so far. I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time doing game recaps and reviews because there's just a lot of stuff to, to dive into about the series as a whole. Uh, but game one could not have gone any better. Kraken go out there. You get that first goal from Ellie Tolvanen. Kick things off. First goal in Kraken playoff history. That was fantastic. And really just game one, it just kept rolling from there. And it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Gru was fantastic. The Kraken, all four lines were rolling. Colorado had zero answer for the depth on the Kraken. And I mean, I'm just so, so happy that we were able to to watch that game, see that game, have the Kraken have that experience because, oh my gosh, the reactions from you and I and everybody else uh, in the larger Kraken community, it was, it was one of the best nights I've ever had covering this team. I've got to agree with that. I mean, it just felt unreal. You go and play the defending champions in their building for game one of a series where you're pretty heavy underdogs. You start hot, you continue to play really well. And it looked like the Avs just had no answer for the Kraken. And, and you almost felt after the first game, just like what, you know, what's the, the, what's the end goal here? Like how far can we go? It can't possibly be this easy, can it? Yeah. And you know, it, it's not. <laughs> We learned that later, but, but it was true. And it gave you an idea of what this team, you know, playoff blueprints could be. Uh, And that is having the depth, having four lines, being a matchup nightmare, just because, you know, you're going in there and what are you supposed to do? Right. When you've got four lines and all four of them have at least 120 goal scorer on them. I mean, there's just no, you know, nobody else has that. And so it's a it's a big issue. The fact that Dave Haxtall doesn't need to load up ice time with any one group or one line or one defensive pairing uh, is a big deal. You're able just to kind of keep rolling things in this kind of continual wave after wave of just bodies crashing into you, forcing you into the defensive zone, guys having energy all of that good stuff. I mean, it was it was just a fantastic experience. And I think that that's something that the Kraken, you know, are going to use the, the rest of this series. And we'll see how that goes in the rest of this playoffs, but also for years to come. Because the bottom line is, you know, and we'll talk about this later, but a lot of this roster is going to be around, you know, for a little while. And you're going to have that. And um, I just think that that's going to become a bigger and bigger problem as some of your core pieces like a Matty Beniers just get more and more experienced in the playoffs. So really, really looking forward to that. The other big thing for me was I didn't know the Kraken could play as physical as they did. Uh, 40 hits. Mm-hmm. I did not think we would see that from the Kraken. And I was really, really pleased for that because I think that, you know, it frustrated the Avs. It caught them a little off guard and it and it kept them from from establishing their game, at least in that game one. Yeah, and you want to make sure that you're finishing your checks, you're playing the body. Playoff hockey is different that way. Over the course of a seven best of seven series, that kind of stuff can add up. And I think the Kraken rose to the challenge there. Uh, Colorado, they're they're not one of the more physical teams. I, I think in the West in the playoffs, you know, they're looking to play their skill game. They're going to try and outskill you, but the Kraken made sure to to make their physical presence known. Yeah, they, and they they sure did. Um, game two rolls around. I mean. 
two nothing at the end of the first period, RJ, the Kraken were flying. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is all the all the worries I had about the Avalanche just out the window. Kraken got this, um, and then you know Jared Bednar uh, made some adjustments. Uh, guys on the Colorado team, the guys that I was worried about, uh, they they started, you know, they found their playoff serious mode. And uh, Colorado able to storm back and, and eventually take that game too. That being said, it was still a close, hard-fought battle. The Kraken were right in it till the very end. I still thought that that was a fantastic um, second road playoff performance to, to kick off this series. Yeah, overall, I think they, they should be happy with that game. You started about as well as you, you could possibly start. The Avs got booed off their own home ice after the first period. I mean, that says a lot. But yeah, they woke up and they woke up quickly and in dramatic fashion with those two goals in under a minute to tie the game. But after that, I think the Kraken did a pretty good job steadying the ship and just getting to the third period, getting out of that period where they were uh, kind of treading water with some help from Philip Grubauer, who I'm sure we'll talk about a ton in this episode. Uh, but that third period, it was just one of those, and you'll see this in the playoffs a lot, where it's just going to go one way or the other based on on a bounce or, or one play that just kind of ends up that way. It easily could have been the same thing, but the Kraken got that bounce off of a faceoff and someone was able to finish it. It's just one of those periods. It happens a lot. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it aside from just play your game and hope that bounce goes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can certainly lose it by <laughs> by just playing poorly and, and giving the other team a bunch of chances. But I don't think the Kraken did that in that game. And so it was really just a 50-50 type of game. Yeah, it was. I mean, just the odds that the rebound's going to bounce right out to a Devon Taves who's wide open and is able to then, you know, pick apart Grubauer um, when he's exposed like that. It's it's just unfortunate. Kraken had a ton of good chances. Um, yeah, it's just the way things go sometimes. Uh, I did think that uh, the Avalanche did do a good job of adjusting. They started playing a little bit more physical. They started locking things down better. Um, and we saw them kind of continue that into game three where, I mean, it comes home, it's the first playoff game, you know, in Climate Pledge Arena. We'll talk about kind of maybe that experience in, in just a little bit here. Um, but from a game-playing standpoint, I thought it was huge that Jane Schwartz was able to kick things off. That was a fantastic play, got the crowd into it. I mean, it was, it was so exciting and exhilarating. But, I mean, then you, then you allow the shorty to JT Comfer, that's a problem. And, and really from there, I mean, the Avalanche's big guns, they just took over. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr all getting goals. They just, they, they wanted to win that game and they were not going to lose it. And that's basically what we saw. Yeah, they showed why they're so dangerous. Uh, and the first couple goals, uh, unfortunately, I felt like we we're almost handed to Colorado a little bit. The JT Confer shorty, it, tough break with Daniel Sprong falling down, but that goal is easier than you want to let your opposition have at any point. Uh, and, and then Vince Dunn making a bad read on the four on four and jumping in. And at that point, Nathan McKinnon, he's off to the races. You're not going to catch him. Um, so some goals that maybe handed to Colorado a little bit too easy. And then after that, when you give their stars confidence, they're going to pick you apart. And you mentioned uh, McKinnon, you mentioned Rontanen. We need to talk about Kale McCarr Mm -hmm. because Kale McCarr got his swagger back in that game. 
uh, and he'd been playing through an injury. It had been limiting him pretty severely, it seemed, because he just didn't look like himself at all. Um, but for whatever reason, it was able to click for him in that game. And you saw the evidence of that uh, in, in the bomb that he released from the point to score his one goal in kind of his little dancing around at the offensive blue line and, and making people look silly like he's so famous for doing. Um, he had his confidence in that game, and it's a scary prospect if he's able to keep that going. Yeah, he looked really, really good. And, you know, he looked special offensively, all that stuff that makes him just, you know, this unique, one of the best defensemen in the NHL, if not the best defenseman in the NHL. But the other thing that impressed me was he looked better in his own zone, too. He looked like he could keep up with the crack and it looked like he could play a little bit more physical. He was using his stick and, and having that active. He was, oh man, he was just wreaking havoc defensively out there munching 419 on the on the PK, you know, second on the team to Devon Taves and only by a couple seconds. So, I mean, he is, he is definitely back and I think that's going to be a big problem for the Kraken moving forward just because... The bottom line is nobody's able to stop him when he's feeling it. We've seen that for the last couple seasons in the NHL. Uh, and so it's it's just a really, really scary prospect for the Kraken for sure. Um, so that's that's the recap of the thing. Like I said, Kraken are down 2-1 in the series. That being said, I feel like game one was fantastic. Obviously, they got the win. They looked like the better team in that game. Game two, as you talked about, came down to just, you know, bad bounce in the third period. It was a very close game. Um and then game three is where things, you know, that's that's where I think adjustments need to be made after this first game back in Seattle, and we will get to all that later. But I think the first place we got to talk about, RJ, is we dive deeper into the series as a whole, and we start looking maybe more at also some individual performances, is Philip Grubauer. Because all year long, all last season, right, that we know what last season was, don't need to totally bring that up again. But all year long, there's been this question of who is going to be the guy in net for the Seattle Kraken. We saw what Martin Jones was able to do through a lot of the year. Philip Grubauer obviously getting hurt earlier in the season, gave, giving Martin Jones that opportunity. The team played really well in front of Martin Jones for a while there. But as we know, these last couple months, Philip Grubauer stormed back. He's looked really, really good throughout the end of the regular season. And you know what? He is starting off the playoffs strong, RJ. Amongst the 16 goaltenders to play two games so far in the playoffs, Philip Grubauer is fifth. That's five. Uh, in the NHL, in goals saved above expected, he is 5 of 16, he is playing lights out, and he is keeping the Kraken in all these games, including that third one that, that was, you know, had the potential to really go against the Kraken. Colorado could have really run away with it, but the bottom line is Philip Grubauer, he was there. A lot of this series has been about momentum, and you saw it in the last game when the Abs went up 3-1 to one and the Kraken's defensive structure really kind of broke down. Colorado was getting a lot of odd man rushes, a lot of good chances, and Philip Grubauer stood tall, made the saves he needed to make, excellent rebound control. We talked about yes. it in post game, and gave the Kraken a chance to hang in there when it looked like everything was falling apart. And then Jamie Alexiak goes and scores the goal to make it 3 2. Maddie Beneers almost immediately afterwards ties it 3 3. And all of a sudden, you've got a game again. And none of that happens without Philip Grubauer. He's been excellent all series. And this is what I was hoping for uh, when we were talking about the series preview and talking about who we wanted. I, I said I wanted Colorado. And the number one reason I, I know it, they're stars, it, it's worrisome. We'll talk about that. But the number one reason I wanted Colorado, because that was the one team 
that I felt confident that we'd get a solid series out of Philip Grubauer, that he would play well against his former team. And so far, he's done exactly that. Yeah, he has, especially those games in Colorado. I mean, he was he was so on it. Like, it was incredible to watch. I was so happy for him to string together those performances, those those first two games, because he's taken so much flack for the, these last two seasons and what's gone on, and even all this year, right? Just this idea of, you know, anytime that there were struggles from him, all the all the people that were calling for Martin Jones to go in. And and I just, I felt Philip Grubauer is the guy. He's the guy that Kraken are paying to be the guy. I felt like he was the better goaltender. We've seen it from him throughout his career. Uh, and so I'm so, so happy for him that he gets to, to put up this performance and show everybody that, you know, he is the guy and he can be the guy for the Kraken. And, and it's, it's okay that the Kraken uh, and him are, you know, going to be together here for the next several years and everything, right? Um, I think that that's a really big deal. I think it's, it takes a, a huge weight off the shoulders of fans and expectation-wise and everything to see him do this in the playoffs to know that, okay, you know, once we get to playoff time, he'll, he's capable of turning it on. He can be one of the top goaltenders in an NHL postseason. I think that's a big, big deal. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm so, so thrilled for him. Um, especially after that last game, because yeah, the defense really, you know, yeah. it was it was be struggle for any goaltender in that one. Um, some of the other guys though that I've I've been really impressed with RJ. The first one, and I did not expect this coming into the series, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because we haven't really had the opportunity to talk about him together at all. Uh, and that's Justin Schultz. I feel like he's back to playing the way he did at the very beginning of the season, where he is just a difference maker. He is making plays in the offensive zone. I feel like. I feel like he might arguably be their best defenseman so far through the series. He's really stepped up. And we were wondering, too, after that, that injury he suffered, we was boarded, uh, you know, in, in kind of it was it Ryan Lomborg of, of Florida that, yeah. um, you know, kind of had this nasty boarding penalty on, on Justin Schultz. And he just didn't quite seem right afterward. And that can happen. Right. I mean, you have plays like that that just will throw a player's whole season off. And I'm so pleasantly surprised to, to see Justin Schultz back uh, playing kind of like he was earlier this season, moving the puck really well, uh, you know, supporting the offense. And um, I mean, really everywhere except, I guess, the power play, which is where you kind of expect him to make yeah. the biggest difference. Um, you know, he, he's playing really well at even strength and the Kraken need that. They're, they're going to need contributions from from their depth defensemen. I think overall you look at the blue line and mostly every certainly everyone in that bottom four I think is kind of doing their job and doing what they need to do um, I, I've liked plays from Susie at times I think there are a couple mm -hmm. in the series where I think he's saved goals we'll talk about Alexiak Borgen later but they've stepped up mm -hmm. um, but good to see that from Justin Schultz as well yeah, he's just he's looked really strong for to me. Um, I will when we talk about like kind of the structure and the system for the uh, Seattle Kraken in the offensive zone. I felt like really everybody on the right side has been able to contribute offensively. I feel like that's um, kind of where the the Avalanche may be funneling the puck. But when you've got somebody like a Justin Schultz on that side, he's able to make things happen. Four points in these three games. Uh, love to see that leading the Kraken defenseman in expected goals. Um, but also, I mean, he's he's played well defensively. He's he's doing what you want your defenseman to do, which is when the puck is in the defensive zone and he's there, he's just picking it up and he's moving it out of the defensive zone. And it sounds simple and it sounds easy, but we know that that's something that 
the Kraken have struggled with through a lot of this season. Uh, and so I, I really like to, to see that from him. Um, he's doing a good job there. He's not turning the puck over despite the fact that he's handling it a ton. That's a big deal. Um, he's not a physical guy. He has zero hits so far through this series, RJ, which seems near wow. impossible for a defenseman. That's just hard to do. It's really hard to do. But the bottom line is he's still he's he's defended well. You see him. He's he's able to defend behind the net. He's able to defend in front of the net. I'm just really, really happy that we have him around. And you know what? When we talk about the guys on Colorado, this is a guy who's been there, done that. He's won Stanley Cups before. He knows what it takes. And I think that's what you're seeing is you're seeing the guys on both sides of, of this series, the ones who have been there and done that. They've, they're showing you how you can find that elevated level of play where you find that extra gear, you find that extra um, little bit of something, something to go out there and you play even if you are maybe a little banged up still. And I think Justin Schultz is the is the kind of shining example on the Seattle Kraken of that. Um, you mentioned the Jamie Alexiak-Will Borgen pair, I guess just because we're talking about defense, we'll talk about them. Um, I had highlighted Jamie Alexiak as my potential X factor for the Kraken this series. That was certainly going to be... That was certainly an aggressive pick um but the bottom line is this was a defensive pairing that had been pretty up and down through you know the second half of the season once they were paired together but they've been really steady and and solid for the seattle kraken for the most part game three everybody kind of looked bad on the back end defending but through those first two games especially i feel like this pairing has been what the kraken have needed especially will borgen in the offensive zone again like i said on that right side guys are able to get stuff going i know jamie alexiak has the beautiful goal and everything but will borgen he's able to hold that line he's throwing pucks on net all that good stuff i've, I've really uh liked that aspect of his game and you could see the big smile on my face as soon as you mentioned will borgen uh, holding pucks in at the offensive zone uh because I, I did mention him uh, in the x-factor conversation i went in a different direction because you had already picked alexiak but i think we have both kind of clued in on this that's a deep pair that while they can have fits of absent-mindedness during the regular season over a large sample size. Uh, they're built for playoff hockey, and I think you're seeing exactly why in this series. Um, Will Borgen especially, like the, bringing the physical play, love to see it. There have been a few times kind of behind the play where he's held guys down for a bit longer than, than maybe uh, would be allowed in the regular season, but that's what playoff hockey is all about. Um, he's able to do his thing, keeping pucks in at the offensive zone, which I, I know at the blue line, which I know that he's capable of, always has been i've i've bet on that mm -hmm. uh, on that bandwagon since day one um but uh yeah that that pair has really stepped up and dylan i mean here take take your victory lap even if it's not exactly what you expected but uh did, <laughs> I'll, I'll borrow the term from uh from darren brown of sound of hockey because he had a great tweet about it last night jamie or, or bobby or lexiak <laughs> <laughs> on that goal that that was some pretty impressive stuff yeah, it was really impressive stuff. I was not that's not what I had in mind when I picked him as my X factor for the Kraken, but I will I will more than take it because it was a fantastic um overall read and, and play there. Um yeah, Jamie Lexak has has looked fantastic. I I've got some some numbers here, but really the thing that I, that's impressed me the most with him is is the the shot blocking that he's been doing. He's he's putting, you know, his body on the line for this team uh in a big way. He's got 10 blocked shots through these first 3 games. 
He is stepping it up physically. I talked about that's something I wanted to see from him. I, you know, could he do it more? Probably always. Uh, Alexiak for me could be more physical just given his size, but still eight hits. That's respectable. That's right in there on this team with, with some other guys like a Vince Dunn and stuff. Um, Will Borgen tied for the team lead uh, on that defensive pairing with 10 uh, alongside Adam Larson. But uh, yeah, Jamie Alexiak, I mean, we've seen him all season kind of have this you know, unique offensive style where he feels comfortable jumping up into certain plays and even going, you know, behind the net if he needs to and, and circling around. And it's really, really cool to see that, you know, despite the fact that we're in playoff times and he's playing up against a team that has Nathan McKinnon, Nikhil McCarr, Miko Rantanen, uh, that he feels comfortable and confident enough to continue doing that. And it really benefited the Kraken, helped kickstart their their little comeback in the second period last night in that third game. And so really, really happy to see that from Jamie Alexiak. And I think the thing that's impressed me the most about this pairing as a whole, RJ, is just how much the Kraken are actually leaning on them, especially defensively. This is the pairing that they are going with defensively. I'm looking at their, uh, their shift starts uh, based on the zones. And, and they're, you know, they're starting on the fly most of the time. This isn't the pairing that they're trying to protect a bunch or that they're trying to uh, have out there in certain situations. This is the pairing that's coming over the boards while play is already in session. But when they are going over there, RJ, um, you know, to, to go get ready for a faceoff, it's it's almost exclusively in the defensive zone or in the neutral zone. Will Borgen, 0% of his shifts have started with an offensive zone faceoff. Zero <laughs> percent. He has not been out there for an offensive zone faceoff through three games in these series. In this series, Jamie Alexiak, two point six percent of his shifts have started in the offensive zone. Uh, but yet, we can think of many times through all three of these games in which they have played a role in the offensive zone, and so that's telling you how effective they are at moving the puck up out of the defensive zone and being a presence offensive, offensively, despite the fact that they're not starting there. And I think that that's a huge takeaway from this. Yeah, and I think I actually remember, maybe, I don't know how many shifts that is exactly. Offensive zone starts, is it one or two or something like that for Jamie Alexiak that accounts for the 2.6%. I remember one of them last game uh, where Colorado put the Nathan McKinnon line out and the Kraken had, I think, the, the Matty Beneers line out and, and, you know, maybe you're a little uneasy about that. You start off in the offensive zone. So I think in case you win the faceoff, you get possession. You've got the Matty Beneers line out. Maybe it'll do some offensive damage. But if it doesn't go well, if you lose the faceoff, if Nathan McKinnon is then bearing down on you, uh, they started uh, Larson and Alexiak. Mm -hmm. as the D pair there to kind of defend. And you'll see Jamie Alexiak kind of getting that promotion up there with Adam Larson, whether it's a penalty kill situation or something where you just want to uh, make sure it's locked down defensively. Yep. Uh, Jamie Alexiak leading the team in defensive zone starts 18.2% of the time he's out there to take uh, defensive draws where he's starting his shift. Um, the other thing that's that's interesting is, you know, you look at like takeaway and giveaway numbers. Those are hard and it's, you know, it's its whole thing. Um, but I, I look at it and, you know, both of these guys on this one, I mean, they're, they're even, uh, one takeaway, one giveaway for Alexiak zero and zero for Will Borgen. Somehow Justin Schultz has zero takeaways or giveaways just to go back to him. No yeah. hits for him. No giveaways, no takeaways. What is he doing besides just, you know, scoring a bunch of points out there, uh, Justin Schultz. But I really like seeing all that from, from that Alexiak Will Borgen pairing. I think it's fantastic. And, and it's one that the Kraken are more and more starting to lean on. Um, as as things go on here so very very uh, intriguing there um, 
All right, so we've talked about goaltending. We've talked about the blue line. Uh, let's talk about some positives up front for the Kraken, RJ, because there's definitely been some positives, including two things that I could think off the top of my head that you brought up as part of our series preview last week, um, and that's both the Yanni Gord line and Brandon Tanev. So I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about first. I want to start with the Yanni Gord line. Uh, right. I, I, <laughs> I I was looking forward to seeing what playoff Yanni Gord would bring, and I have not been disappointed, uh, especially in the first two games. I think game three was kind of rough for everybody. Uh, you know, we've alluded to that earlier, but especially through the first two games, Yanni Gord is just a beast in playoff hockey. Um, game one, he got the McKinnon matchup a lot of the time. I mean, Jared Bednar, the Avs coach, even started off with that. You look at the starting lineups. Uh, Dave Haxtell kind of had to choose first who he's putting out there. It was the Yanni Gord line and Bednar countered with the Nathan McKinnon line. And I thought that was maybe a bad decision. And it kind of played out that way because uh, Gord and his line got the better of McKinnon and his line. Um, and it actually forced the abs to kind of change what they were doing throughout the whole lineup because uh, they had to adjust to the Kraken. The Gord line was too much of a problem for them. Um, and, and just watching Yanni Gord in the playoffs, his motor is just unmatched like how how well that he can skate he never gets tired i think of a couple plays uh in in game two uh where setting up brandon tanev's shorthanded goal and i guess maybe that'd be better to leave kind of for the seg uh, segue toward tanev but i mean yanni gord goes into that corner one on three shorthanded mm -hmm. and he turns away from guys and he finds a way to get that puck loose out of that corner to his teammate. That is really hard to do. And the other play that I think of too is um, I, I tweeted about it earlier. I just kind of tweeted the video, but early on in the game, the Avs had a really aggressive forecheck. And that's something after game one that, that their coach Bednar said, we need to be more aggressive on the forecheck. And, and that message clearly, the players took it to heart early on. Mm -hmm. And so there's a play where they dump the puck in. Matt Nieto's the first on it for Colorado. And it kind of pops out to Oliver Bjorkstrand behind the net. And he's got a forechecker coming on him really hard. He's going to be there any second. And because of the chemistry that this line has, Bjorkstrand just knows without even checking, without looking, that he can rim that puck around uh, the outside boards. And Yanni Gord is going to, he's not in that spot yet, Gord's net front, but that he's going to be on the boards by the time that puck gets there. And sure enough, he does loop around and get there to the boards. And then once that happens, Gord takes a quick look behind him and sees another hard four checker. I think it's Darren Helm coming at him at full speed, and he's going to try and finish a check. And Gord's able to see that draw him in and just turn off of him at the last second. It's a great move. Helm just ends up checking the boards. Uh, it was a great play. And then Gord's able to kind of tap that puck past Taves because then Taves for Colorado, aggressive, right? He mm -hmm. pinches in. Gord wins that 50-50 puck, and he wins so many 50-50 yeah. pucks. And that's that's one of the biggest things you can do in a playoff series, just winning those close battles and those pucks that could go either way. Taps it ahead to Ellie Tolvanen. All of a sudden, the Kraken are on a two-on-one, and it leads to the Justin Schultz goal, the first goal of the game. You take an early lead. Like, go back and watch the entire lead-up, like what I was just describing, the entire lead-up to that Justin Schultz goal, and see the work that Yanni Gord does on that play. He, he only gets the secondary assist on it, but he did so much of the work to make that happen. Um, and it's the things like that that he has brought this series, where you're like, yeah, this is, this is why he played such a big role in Tampa winning two Stanley Cups. Yeah, it's it's just like what I talked about with Justin Schultz, right? Like these these are the guys who have been there and done that and they understand what it takes 
come playoff time, how you have to elevate your game, how every shift matters, how all of those little things can extrapolate into a bigger positive for your team or even a bigger negative, right? And why you need to avoid certain mistakes. Um, and I feel like Yanni Gord is, is somebody that the Kraken are, you know, they're lucky to have right now um, through a, a difficult series like this to, to have a, a veteran up front who can do that kind of stuff. Um, nobody has started uh, shifts in the offensive zone less up front for the Kraken than Yanni Gord. And yet think of how many plays we've we've noticed him in the offensive zone. Right. Again, I, I, you know, I won't just use that for everybody good and bad all the time. But I think that that it's really important because that's one of those times where, you know, that's not even like some advanced stat or anything. But that's where um, kind of like the uh, the analytics tracking, matching that with the eye test, it tells you a lot. Because we're, we've we've both and and everybody watching has seen so much from Yanni Gord, especially in the offensive zone. So to know that he is the least likely person to start a shift off in the offensive zone, and yet we're seeing him there as much as we are, I think is important to talk about. It's a big big deal. Second on the team in hits amongst forwards with ten behind only Brandon Tanev's thirteen. He's playing physical. He's getting in there. This is one of the things that has surprised me, RJ. He hasn't drawn a penalty somehow yet, and that's shocking to me given how physical he's been playing, how all over the place he's been playing, how he does go net front and he pisses off guys like Josh Manson. I am absolutely shocked that he hasn't drawn a penalty yet. It's coming though. I you know game four. I won't give it a guarantee, but it would do- definitely not surprise me uh, if. If the Kraken get a power play chance because of Yanni Gord out there, um, got three takeaways so far. And I can remember, I think all three of them, they've all been so special. But the bottom line is he's using his stick when he is defending. He is trying to disrupt the, the opposing team, whether it's poke checking it away and grabbing it or it's just getting it in a passing lane and picking off a pass. I mean, he's kind of the only guy on the Kraken, at least amongst the forwards, who's consistently been able to do that and generate those takeaways uh, and I think that that's very important as well the only the only criticism I really have for him and it's tough to single him out on this because it's been such a team issue 30 percent on faceoff so far it's not yeah that's really not great um but you'd like better yeah you would definitely like better but the bottom line is I mean everybody but Ryan Donato is struggling on this team with face-offs right now so it you know again I'm not going to single him out or anything on this um but that line uh has had to do a ton of work uh not just you know extranding it out to Bjorkstrand and Tolvanen as well um it's had to do a ton of work in this series. They are being matched up against really tough competition. And you see that, you know, if you do go and you look at the lines uh, numbers, right, their expected goals percentage is only at 40%. But it's just because they've spent so much time through all three games having to go up against guys like Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, it's it's because Hacksaw trusts them to do that. And I think that they've, you know, really rewarded that because it feels like the one game that they kind of got away from that was really this third one where Nathan McKinnon was able to kind of go off. Yeah, and I think, too, the Avs realize this is the line that's going to cause us a problem. And I mean, we, we always talk about the the Kraken trying to kind of contain and and uh, adjust to make sure the Avs uh, star players are kept at bay. And, and when you do focus in on an opposing line like that, you can have success because you you, you zero in, you, you see what's the, causing their success, and you try and combat that. But we don't really talk as much about the Avs making adjustments to try and counter the Kraken's best players. And I think we've seen that through the first... First three games where it's 
favorites as far as uh, you know how good they've looked production wise. It's been a bit of a downward trajectory for that Gord line because I think Colorado maybe they they weren't prepared for how good that Gord line was going to be. But now after a couple games, after three games, they're ready for that. They've made adjustments and they've kind of they've targeted that really. Yes, no, they they really have. Um, before I let you go on on the on the tan of RJ, the the one thing that I want to mention amongst the forward groups uh, has been when Geeky is in the lineup. I thought Geeky has been playing really really well for this team. Those first two games in Colorado, um, you and I have both liked him being on that second line alongside Schwartz and Wenberg. But boy, the two games that the, that line was able to go out there, eighty percent of the expected goals. Uh, are in favor of the Kraken when those guys are out there. They're absolutely killing it. Um, Wenberg doing a fantastic job defensively. I talk about you know the zone starts and everything, blowing everyone out of the water as far as um, starts in the defensive zone for Alexander Wenberg. 20.5% out there starting in the defensive zone again when you know everybody is going to be like 50 percent or really more than 50 percent shift starts on the fly to have a 20 percent number in any of the three zones is impressive especially the defensive zone dave haxtall trusts this line completely and you know what through those first two games with geeky on it they were more than rewarding him for that trust because you're talking about starting in the defensive zone all the time and yet you're going out there and you're creating a ton of expected goals for you're limiting the abs I just wanted to give that line some love and you know hopefully uh we get Kiki back for game four that's going to be so important to get him back for game four because that line we had questions about that line going into the series I certainly question how well they were going to be able to do and I think for whatever reason it's just kind of clicked uh, with Morgan Geeky there what you're hoping for on that line is that Geeky's going to be able to use his size and kind of his sneaky shot you know it's pretty good actually and that Wenberg's going to be able to be a playmaker and they're going to be able to generate some offense you saw in game one with Geeky scoring that huge goal to, to go ahead 3-1. That's the blueprint offensively. And then defensively, you've got uh, Wenberg and Geeky together, two guys who are two setters who can both play defense, who both have really good defensive instincts uh, and, and can share that responsibility. And then Jaden Schwartz is no slouch either defensively. I mean, he's such a smart player, such a cerebral player. And all three of them together would be able to handle pretty much any assignment you threw their way. And I think that's what we've seen from that group. And, and to be honest, it's just not the same with Jesper Froden there on that wing. Um, it, it really does require all three of those pieces working together uh, to make it work. Yeah, it really does. And oh, I'm glad you mentioned Jaden Schwartz because he's been so disruptive. Bunch of hits. He's drawing penalties. Uh, he's got the takeaways. Like he's he's absolutely killing it out there as well. So happy for him to get that first goal at Climate Pledge playoff history. I thought that was really exciting. Um, this is actually a question I had, RJ, about that. Not to throw a tangent in there. We've been doing good avoiding those. Um, do you know if the Kraken have been saving those kind of big goals, like the Tolvanen first ever goal in the playoffs? That goal is the first playoff goal at CPA? Because I would love this idea of the Kraken having all of these big, um, you know, these pieces of memorabilia from all these big, important games that maybe one day they could display at CPA or 32 Bar and Grill or something. You know what I mean? That would be great. I don't know, actually, if they're if they're saving like the pucks or the sticks or anything from that. Um, I, I would be surprised if they didn't save the pucks or, you know, yeah. somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, that would go really well. And I could a cool display case at Climate Pledge or, yeah, at the bar and grill, just anywhere so that people can see that I and mean, kind of collecting the, the various memorabilia. I I think was it the puck or something from the Donato 
first goal in franchise history just went straight to the hockey hall of fame because that's generally what yeah. you have to do with that stuff um but but for milestones like this maybe you won't have to and you can kind of keep that in your possession yeah i just thought that that would be a really cool thing kind of display all that stuff at cpa let the fans enjoy it and i get why you wouldn't do it year one or year two right you haven't you don't have the history yet like this is something that maybe you see come year five or whatever uh but i think that that would be uh, a really cool thing so i'm just going to float that out there and maybe the universe will make it happen all right brandon tan of time rj take us away all right, I've been, been waiting to get started on Turbo here because um, he was definitely in the X-Factor conversation for us and that he would have to step up his game because nobody else was going to do it. Nobody else was going to lead the team in hits. And sure enough, that's what he's doing is leading the team in hits right now. Uh, he's been getting involved physically. Um, he's He's been doing his thing. And he actually contributed with a really big goal uh in in yeah. uh game two shorthanded on a great shot and i mean let's just get right into it blowing the kisses to the to the away fans there that is classic classic turbo everybody loved that yep. um, i think that's our our most successful tweet ever numbers wise uh was clipping that video and, and putting it out there um but brandon tanev has been exactly what you'd expect uh from playoff brandon tanev this is why they bring him in there are certain players that even though they're not the biggest factor in the regular season always that you know at the end of the day he was a fourth liner for pretty much all the regular season and, and being paid a little bit more than the average fourth liner considerably more actually but this is why you do that to have him in a position where he can bring this to your lineup um you know the hits the timely scoring sometimes uh the penalty killing ability and i mean gotta talk about the pk too we'll talk about it i think more just in general how good the pk has been but brandon tanev's been a really big part of that um and he's done everything that you could ask and also when morgan geeky was out he's the guy who jumps up to that second line some of the time it was all shuffled around, but yeah. Brandon Tanev was often the player who would double shift. He's the guy that Dave Haxtell trusted when you need an extra winger in those situations. Absolutely. And there's, you know, all the reasons there to prove why, uh, like you said, he does lead the team in hits. Talk about frustrating the, the, uh, the Colorado avalanche with the physical play and just how pesty and all that kind of stuff he can be. Um, six drawn penalties. Or six penalties, six? six six penalty minutes oh, okay. drawn. Excuse me. So three penalties Still, drawn. Still, that's that's a lot. That definitely leads the team. That is a ton. I mean, that's a big big deal for the Kraken. I mean, well, if their power play was better, we'll get to that. Uh, that would be a big deal <laughs> Should anyway. Should be a big deal. Maybe that's a liability. Get Brandon Tanev out of there. Stop it. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, have him take more penalties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, the whole thing. Take one of them with you. Just take one of you with them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but talking about that, talking about the shot blocks, five to lead the forwards in shot blocks. I mean, Brandon Tanev is getting it done. We knew that they, that he was one of those guys that steps it up come playoff time. Uh, it's just what he does, and he scores big goal every playoff series and all that good stuff that we talked about last week, uh, and it's all been on display. And, yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm enjoying it. I know you're enjoying it, and it sure seems like the rest of the community is enjoying it as well. So really, really happy for Brandon Tanev. Uh, last positive I think to talk about because Tanev is a part of this has been the PK incredible like unbelievable work that they've been doing like you go back I mean I know they struggled at the beginning of the year in a big way and that was a big you know talking point for us and everybody and then that really stuck for like the national broadcasting crowd was oh they really struggle special teams and the PK and it's like no our PK is a lot better and boy are they showing it so far through this playoff series 
Yeah, the Kraken at a hundred percent on the PK. Yeah. Uh, you cannot, you literally cannot ask for any better. And if you told me through three games, the Kraken would be a hundred percent on the penalty kill with a shorthanded goal to boot. I mean, they're over a hundred percent. You know, on, on the net power play, which I mean, that I think that's a better stat anyway. You score shorthanded. That's that's the same thing as like knocking a power play goal off the board. Uh, they're over 100 percent on the PK, essentially. Uh, the Avs haven't gotten a whole lot going as far as dangerous chances. And um, I just I was not expecting this. Colorado has a top five power play in the NHL and the Kraken's PK knows just exactly what to do. They take away the passing lanes. They don't let anything really inside toward the net. Um, and they're good at pressuring the abs too uh, before the point of entry as well. You've got Yanni Gord. You've got a Brandon Tanev. One of those guys can go be the chaser and, and bring some uh, pressure onto the abs, even in their own zone, which yep. is just throwing them off. They don't know what to do about it. Yeah, no, they don't at all. The pressure that they put on the puck carriers. I mean, Avalanche, what they want to do on the power play is pretty simple. A lot of it is actually feasting off a rebound. So this is also in part because of Grubauer just shutting that down completely. His rebound control has been so uh, so so successful. Um, but right, like they want to give it to Nathan McKinnon over on the left side boards, and they want to let him walk in and shoot if he's got the time and space, but the Kraken aren't giving him that. Um, they're not giving him his pass cross ice to the other half boards that he wants to do and that they've been successful with all year Kraken are taking that away I mean the only time you really see Nathan McKinnon look really pissed off is is when he comes back to the bench after a power play because he's not able to do anything that he wants to do any of the stuff that he's used to doing all the stuff that's you know he's scored a bunch of goals in his career doing he's not able to do any of it on this power play right now and it is really I think starting to get to him now maybe it's just motivating him for for five on five where he's looking good now <laughs> but uh the bottom line is you're taking away you know a big part of that Kale McCarr not able to get anything going as well uh I think that that's you know it's 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 incredible hats off to the PK unit you know shout out to all all of them including Phil Grubauer, Jared McCann looking great out there on it as well. Like just the whole thing has looked fantastic. I, I checked the league website here and uh, net PK percentage. I just love this 114.3% for the Kraken. The old ad is given 110%. I mean, that's, They're that's less it. than what the Kraken PK is giving. They're giving 114%. They're giving 114%. Oh man, that's incredible. Absolutely love it unfortunately rj from the high time. i was gonna say i think it's time we've talked about a ton of the good stuff that the kraken are doing i do think that we need to talk about the things that they're struggling with and i think the pk you know talking about special teams it provides a natural transition to talk about the other side of special teams which is of course the power play kraken i mean we know that the, the power play has struggled all year long there was never like this you know moment where it seemed like they really figured it out the way they did on the PK Kraken one for 11 on the power play now in this series, but they have allowed that shorthanded goal. So, you know, maybe they're 0 for 10 or whatever you want to call it or, or whatever. Uh, but the bottom line is, especially in that game three, RJ, where you had all of those chances, six power play opportunities and you get the one goal, but it was kind of too late to, to affect you. We've talked about it all year long right? The special team, how many losses for the Kraken this year could have been wins just if they had been able to score on the power play. And it's the same thing here, either game two or game three. What, you know, is one of those games go in the Kraken's favor if they're able to score on the power play. And it's, 
in some ways, RJ, I think it looks like worse than it even did in the regular season. It's it's really, really bad. There's no player movement. I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of anything positive to say about what they're doing uh, with the man advantage right now. And and I think part of it is also what Colorado's doing. They are pressuring the puck carrier a lot. They are very, very aggressive on the puck carrier, and the Kraken just have no answer for that. Um, they, they can't move the puck away from that pressure. Colorado just wins those battles, and they clear it. And and I think even the numbers make the power play look maybe better than it is because that one power play goal, that was in garbage time. There, there was That affected the game zero. Uh, and, and that shorthanded goal that they gave up was a huge one. Um, it, it's just... It's been very rough on the power play uh, for, for the Kraken in this series. And um, to, to the point where, yeah, people are at, at this point, like, can we decline them? And I yeah. think that honestly might be better for the Kraken. You, you talked about opportunities potentially to win the game. I think in a one goal game like game two was, yes, every power play is a chance to, to potentially win the game there when a game that is that close. And these are missed opportunities. And I think of the biggest missed opportunity in my mind was this past game, game three. You had that big momentum shift in your favor. You get the Alexiak goal. You get the Matty Beneers goal. All of a sudden, the Avs are completely on their heels, and you draw a penalty. You go to the power play at the end of the second period with a chance to take the lead when you were down two goals in that period. If you can score there, I, I can't I can't overstate how huge yeah. that would have been for the Kraken. And and not just because I'd love to see what that climate pledge arena would have been like, the building, if they had completed that and taken the lead. But just the Kraken have had moments, I think, in this series where the Avs have been scared a little bit, potentially. Mm-hmm. And, and they just haven't got delivered that knockout blow at any point. I think you can point back to game two where it was two nothing and you got that three on one that maybe they overthought and passed a little bit where that would have been a knockout blow in that game. I think if the Kraken score a power play goal in game three to end the second period, that's a potential knockout blow. And that's often what the power play is for. And they just haven't been able to get any of that done. And, uh, you know, we can talk about how bad it is, but I think, um, you know, we should break it down a little bit further. And and Dave Haxtell, of course, was asked about this after the last game. The power play started 0 for 5. He's going to get a question about it. Yeah. And I thought it was telling that his answer uh, wasn't so much, well, we need to tweak this here. It was more of a back to basics type of answer, just explaining kind of what you want to see on the power play in general. He talked about number one is possession. You've got to get puck possession in the zone. You know, he said at times, you know, we were traditionally pretty good on entries the last couple games. Not tonight. We weren't getting the entries, so we couldn't even get that. Second, he said, is puck speed to beat that pressure. Now, what he means by that, by puck speed, uh, the Avs, as I mentioned, they will pressure the puck carrier, like aggressively, aggressively pressure the puck carrier, and you need to be quick with the puck, puck speed. Move it away from where you are very fast. Find a quick passing outlet because that's what's going to relieve that pressure on the puck carrier because that opens up space. If the Avs are going to send two guys directly to the puck, they're already short a man because they're shorthanded. That means there's guys that should be wide open elsewhere on the ice, and, and usually there are. And if you can know where they're going to be, move the puck to them quickly – that's going to help and, and open up some chances. There was a good Jared McCann chance, um, you know, late in, in game three that I thought was their best power play chance of the whole series. It's the only time I've seen them do that all series where they move the puck away from that pressure. And then uh, Haxtell said the third piece of it is simplifying and getting things inside. Mm-hmm. And that just means 
throwing pucks to those areas. Dylan, we talked about this all season, oh, haven't we? Yes. I mean, this, this is, if you've been listening to this podcast throughout this season, you, you probably know exactly what we're talking about. I'll, I'll, I'll rehash it a little bit here, but it's just throwing pucks to those high danger areas. Simplify. You don't need some, you know, incredible detailed play. It can be as simple as throwing a puck from the point toward the front of the net and getting inside. That means getting bodies to those areas, getting to the inside of the ice right in front of the net uh, and getting pucks and players inside. It creates chaotic situations. Pucks will bounce out to you. Sometimes the goalie won't see it. You'll get a screen, you'll get a tip. And that's how you score on the power play when things aren't working well for you and, and you need to just simplify your game. Haxtell did mention that that late power play goal and he did qualify it saying, look, I know it's garbage time. Yeah. Uh, but he mentioned that as an example of getting inside where you win an mm -hmm. offensive zone faceoff. You get the puck at the point. You don't dust it off. You don't try and set up anything complicated. You just throw it at the net. And you've got Jaden Schwartz, who goes directly to the front of the net, yep. gets inside on the defender, and he's able to tip that puck past Georgiev. There's nothing the goalie can do. So that's, I guess, kind of the blueprint for fixing the power play. But they've got a long way to go to actually execute. Execution is the problem here. Um, and, and we'll see if it can be any better in game four. Sorry, I've been talking for a long time that's here, good. Dylan. But uh, you can weigh in on the power play as well. Yeah, no, it's all good stuff. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to think of ways of doing that, sending out the tweets yesterday, talking in the Discord about it during the game, how to try to get that power play going. I was literally, I was pulling basketball plays, RJ. I'm like, just try to do a pick and roll with the bumper guy. Just try to get somebody from the outside in. Like, you have to, um, because it's just been, it's so stale. And you talk about the pressure from the Avs PKers, and that was that was definitely true through the first two games. After the second power play opportunity for the Kraken in this third game, Avalanche weren't even bothering to pressure anymore. They just sat back in the lanes. They were just like, oh, these guys got nothing. Like, they're not doing anything. And they just hung back. They weren't even pressuring the puck carriers anymore. I, I man, I'm, I'm, the one thing that, I, that gives me hope is that you got that last goal. And the fact that the Colorado PK is starting to look complacent because they are sitting back. So if the Kraken are able to take things back to basics and they are able to execute a little bit better in this next game, I think you're going to be able to maybe catch Colorado off guard because you know what Colorado's not going to work on for game four? Their PK, right? <laughs> yeah. They've killed off, you know, 10 of 11 power plays and the one they let in was in garbage time, so they're not going to th really think about it. Um, so I think the one, the one place where you can catch Colorado off guard is going to be when the Kraken have a power play. And so, yeah, I really want to see them treat that aggressively. I really want to see them try to work on that. Um, but the bottom line is, yeah, if if they're just going to get back to this whole, you know, every we're running the one three one, and everybody is allowed to move maybe five square feet in any direction from where they're supposed to post up. But that's it. I just think this is what you're going to continue to see because the bottom line is nobody's in a good position to shoot. The one thing Colorado's not going to let you do is take shots from the point. So your point man's just completely out of it, just sitting there. Uh, and really both players on the half boards on either side, we're not seeing them, you know, in any sort of good shooting spot. They're, they're, they're taking very aggressive angles way off to the side. They are playing very close to the boards. Uh, something has to change. I think the easiest way of doing that is just to get some player movement going on. You know what I mean? Cycle the person with the point with somebody on the boards. Just see if you can catch um, Colorado with a bad handoff in defensive coverage or, you know, just two people accidentally follow one guy and you're able to create a chance for yourself. But right now, just passing the puck around, using the point to do it, 
you're never going to see anything open up. You're never going to generate any good chances for yourself. And again, this feels like something I've said way too much this season. But the bottom line is with, with both this and face-offs, which we'll talk about, and clearing the defensive zone and all that stuff that we've talked about throughout this season, the one thing we always said alongside that was, this is going to hurt you come playoff time. And here we are come playoff time. And this power play is costing you games again. And, and these are the games where you really don't want something as simple as just being above 10% on the power play to be the thing costing you potentially a playoff series. But that's where the Kraken find themselves. It's got to be better for the next one. I think it probably will be. Just law of averages says at some point it must <laughs> be. Um, but I do think that, that the Kraken are going to focus on it. I doubt that Colorado is going to focus on it. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, I am actually hopeful for game four that we might see a slightly different result, but maybe that's just wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think there might be something to that, that late power play. If you can build momentum off of that, that it, I know it's garbage time, but yeah. like you said, the abs are might be getting complacent. If you can just do that again, th then all of a sudden you're rolling. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mentioned it just now, some of the other stuff that we talked about and that's been, you know, popping up in this and this face-offs. Oh my gosh, all year when I was playing my stupid face-off game and talking about the the Kraken the losing face-offs, but it was okay because they would win those games and all that stuff. But then there was that point mid-year where I turned it around and I said, all right, enough fun, enough of that stuff because the bottom line is uh, come the postseason, if you're losing defensive draws, uh, this is going to cost you. And I... Oh my gosh, I could never have predicted how much it would cost the Kraken, RJ, with what is it, four now direct face-off goals for the Colorado Avalanche in three games? Yeah. It's crazy. It's insane. I know. I, I didn't really want this narrative to become a thing because I face-off plays, you know, it all happens differently and there's so many moving pieces and all this, but I just can't ignore it at this point when you have the Avs scoring four goals directly off of offensive zone face-off wins. I... It, it's a pattern. I think at this point we could admit that it's a pattern. Yeah. Um, and, and those draws, they're they're so big, not even necessarily winning them, but just kind of the, the movement afterwards too. certain ones like uh, you, you mentioned um, on the post game, you did a good breakdown of it. But um, on the Taves goal, the game winner in game two, mm -hmm. uh, Jamie Alexiak gets kind of tangled up with with Evan Rodriguez and um, can't quite get free to the other side of the ice. And, and that's what leads to Taves having all that space. Or whether it's just something really simple, like the Kale McCarr goal in, in game three, where once that draw is lost as cleanly as it's lost, there's nothing that you can do. Because yeah. McCarr is going to step into that shot. The only thing differently you can do is try and step into the lane and block it, which, I mean, good luck. I wouldn't want to do that. And also, you're probably being counterproductive because you're just going to screen your goalie. Like yeah. at that point, the goalie just has to make the save or not. And it was a great shot, so he, he wasn't going to make the save. Um, and I believe it was Matty Beneers taking that draw um, against Andrew Cogliano on the on the McCarr goal. And Cogliano wins it cleanly exactly where he wanted to right yeah. to his defenseman. And um, that's one where it's as simple as just as just needing a better faceoff taker. And, and it's something we talked about it maybe at the deadline. Do they bring someone in to handle those draws? Francis decided not to do it. And and look, we, we didn't disagree with the decision to stand pat, mm -hmm. but those are the trade-offs that come with this is now the Kraken are left with the team that they have. And we talked about this going into the playoffs. Like it's not going to change as yeah. far as just winning those face-offs. It doesn't change. That's how, that's how it works. You cannot change it at this point in the season. Um, it, it, it's too late. It, it's, it, this is what it's going to be. I think 
the Kraken did a good job actually kind of later in the game, just adjusting, basically assuming that you're going to lose those face-offs and positioning your players accordingly. Uh, it's not a position you want to be in, but I think it's what the Kraken have to do now. Yeah. Um, th this is the one that kind of just gives me, you know, the least hope that they can fix. The power play, there's always stuff you can do and move guys mm -hmm. around. Face-offs, uh, this, is, this is what we're left with. This is what this team is. And, and especially without Morgan Geeky in the lineup, that hurt. <laughs> yeah. I think just having that right-handed face-off taker. But they were at the point where um, by the end of the game, the Kraken were having Jaden Schwartz take face-offs instead of Matty Beneers, uh, like on the power play. Both those guys mm -hmm. were on the ice. I, I think it's tough for a 20-year-old rookie taking draws in the playoffs in this league and um, maybe even just putting some of your veteran wingers in there instead, just doing something. But I don't have a whole lot more to say. This this problem just kind of is what it is. Yeah, it's it's really rough. You look at the at kind of the four centers that the that the Kraken were rolling with um in this series so far and um you're looking at Yanni Gord has actually been the worst, which again is surprising. 30.6% faceoffs. That's really bad. Like it's just it is. Like, and the Avs are not even a good faceoff team if you go by no. the regular season numbers. They hadn't been that good, but I think Hey, we've watched this team all season. I think neither of us are all that shocked that the Kraken are worse. Yeah, I'm not surprised that the Kraken would be worse, but it's it's the fact that you've got Yanni down at 30.5%, Maddie at 38.5%, 38.5%. And you mentioned that that uh, the Kamakar goal, um, that one where you talked about Alexiak getting, uh, and the Devon Taves goal. Alexiak gets gets tangled up with Evan Rodriguez. Maddie Beniers, that was another one where he was the guy taking the faceoff. And not only does he lose the faceoff, but he also got tangled up with the other center and wasn't then able to be a center in the defensive zone and get over there for it. So Maddie Beniers struggling um, big time. Alexander Wenberg, 42.9%. I mean, that's you're getting better, but still anything below 45%, I consider bad. Right. Like that. That's, that's just, fair. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, so forty two point nine percent for Alexander Wenberg. The one center you have is your fourth line center and Ryan Donato. Seventy percent faceoff win percentage. That's fantastic. But the bottom line is they're barely playing their fourth line in this series. RJ Ryan Donato has thirty two shifts to put that in perspective. Alexander Wenberg has eighty three. Okay, so yeah, great. He's winning faceoffs when he's out there, but he's barely out there. That's not a solution for you. Uh, so I'm with you. Yeah, there's. I doubt that this is a problem that's going to correct itself, but it's one of those things that off season, whether it's working with these guys and getting them better, you know, like Matty Beniers, especially having a year under his belt, he will be better next year. Uh, just following any star center, that's just the progression that they take. Um, or if it's bringing in somebody who can be a face-off specialist for this team. But I do think that, you know, this playoff series is showing that face-offs has to be one of their off-season focuses. It's just, it has to be. They cannot go through the entire off-season and just roll, run it back with this group unless they're really going to dedicate to making this group better at it. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that when you're talking about off-season plans, one of the things you have to do is something as seemingly simple as the face-off, but it's 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 costing them in a big big way. Yeah, and I think uh, look, they're kind of stuck with the centers that they have, uh, and, and it's not a bad thing. You got you know Matty Beniers, Yanni Gord, Wenberg, and, and Shane Wright. I think coming in down yeah. the middle, I think that might be a, a struggle with Shane Wright again, just being a, a nineteen-year-old rookie. Yeah. There's only so much you can do about that, but I think 
next year you're looking at maybe adding at the deadline somebody who can come in and, and take a draw on the spot. I think that might be the way to handle it um, because I like the centers that they have, but that can be a deadline addition and, and one that can probably be done not too expensively. Yeah, probably. Um, the last kind of issue that, that seems like it's cropping up again uh, and was an issue all season long was, was just kind of things defensively, whether it's defending against a, a good transition or it's clearing the zone and finding ways of doing that. Uh, and I talked about earlier, like the Alexiak Borgen pairing and how much they've started defensively and, and we've seen them contribute offensively. They're doing a good job of getting it out. Uh, Yanni Gord's doing a good job of getting it out. Um, but it's still been a problem. There's still been way too many series and shifts where um, any line for the for the Colorado Avalanche really are able to just keep cycling it and cycling it and putting pressure on Grubauer, putting pressure on the defense. And we finally saw in game three yesterday for us at the time of recording, the defense just completely collapsed. Uh, I've talked in the past. One of you know one of the the biggest problems you can have as a defenseman is if on the broadcast I can see the back of your jersey, I can read your name and see that big number. Uh, that's a problem. And you know what? I could see everybody's name and everybody's number yesterday. I can't tell you the amount of times that the defense was turned around. And just like with the power play, where it's like take it back to simple things feel like the defense needs to take it back to some simple things just keep the play in front of you use your sticks nobody's using their stick defensively to try to disrupt passes poke check just tangle up the opposing guy so that they can't just collect a pass cleanly just some of the the real basic stuff uh right now the defense is struggling with and it's been a it's been a slow progression downwards for this um uh I, I think there's hope. I think this is probably the easiest thing to fix uh, between the power play faceoffs and this. I think that, you know, just having a day off to kind of regroup and everything, there's a good chance that the Kraken can come back out. But I do think that that's ultimately really what cost you uh, game three was just the fact that you couldn't kind of handle the onslaught and you couldn't handle it in transition either. Yeah, and they've had their ups and downs on this over the course of the season and Dave Haxtall has mentioned that it's, it's kind of just a matter of focus. It's, mm -hmm. it's playing that, I guess, lunch pail hockey as he likes to talk about, but just knowing that you've got to have your assignment all the time, every shift. And, and that just requires a lot of intense focus. And sometimes when things aren't going your way, uh, when you get caught up in, in some of the momentum shifts, or, I mean, who in the building couldn't get caught up in everything that was going on last game? I mean, it was right. just, it was a lot. And sometimes you can lose focus in all of mm -hmm. that. And I think that's what's happened with the Kraken. When you had that four days in between uh, the end of the regular season and the series starting to really know exactly what you want to do, how you want to approach this Avs team, how you want to try and shut them down. Um, you have a lot of focus built up at that point. And, and I think the Kraken executed on it through a full 60 minutes, the entirety of game one. And, but the more games you play, especially as you get into that every other day grind of playoff hockey, the harder it becomes to just maintain that same level of focus, shift in, shift out. And I think we're seeing that start to deteriorate for the crack in a little bit. Maybe it'll help, like you said, having some rest or being back at home um, and, and just kind of being able to reset a little bit today. Uh, so yesterday to those listening, but today is a team day off. In between games, Haxtell elected not to practice. I think you know, that might even be a good thing to kind of reset and just and just get everyone back on the same page. But uh, it, it, they're just going to have to get that focus back one way or another. Yeah. Uh, like uh, you want to give some kind of X's and O's reason for it or, oh, they're not you know doing this thing properly. But it's it like we've talked about all season. It's it's kind of stuff you 
teach in squirt hockey, right? Mm-hmm. To teach them as kids. It's just about having that concentration every single shift. Yeah, it is. And it's, well, it's something they got to figure out, but I think it's something that they will figure out. I do think that you bring up a good point. I mean, we know what the energy was around that first game in Seattle. I do think that it's entirely possible uh, that the team got caught up in that, in some of that. And, you know, it, it was it was kind of a crazy game. It was a lot less structured all the way around for the Kraken. Uh, I don't think that that, you know, benefits them. It never benefits you as the underdog. It never benefits you uh, when you're the team. You know, you're not the team that has, you know, the best players out there on the ice, which, you know, maybe we can transition over to this. But the bottom line is Colorado has the the three best players in this series, right? They are on Colorado in Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, and Miko Rantanen. I feel like they are better than anybody that the Kraken have. Um, and, and that's, that's also something that the Kraken are just trying to deal with is the fact that, you know, you have to deal with that talent and balance and the depth certainly helps, but depth really only pays off for you, uh, if it's structured and you have a system in place to take advantage of that depth. And I feel like they lost that even offensively, uh, last night in that third game, but I just, I don't know the Kraken really haven't lost it for multiple games in a row all season long. I feel like this is where their kind of quick ability to recover and the fact that we never saw them go on a three game losing streak throughout the regular, you know, or greater than a three game losing streak throughout the regular season is going to really benefit them um, looking ahead towards a game four. Yeah, they have to recover quickly, but this is a team that's shown that they can do that. Uh, And I think, Get with the depth you, you mentioned it like that's how you are going to win games the kraken are not going to win any game in this series six to four if the yeah. if the final score is six to four the the abs won that game um it, it's as simple as that and it's about just limiting the opportunities and that's how uh teams that are maybe aren't as skilled they pull off upset victories mm-hmm. is they play really structured hockey they limit the chances one way or the other and they kind of leave it up to goaltending and, and the odd bounce um which the way grubauer is playing i like the kraken's odds if they yeah. can make games into that um so if it gets as wide open as it was last night i, I just think the kraken are going to lose every single time yeah it's just it's it's one of those realities of the series um said it last night on post game that we would talk about some of the guys that the community is really talking about uh, we talked about a lot of the guys in the in the positive section, the players that we've liked. There's a couple guys, though, that I feel like have really struggled through this series. Um, I think the the biggest one and the, the you know, maybe it's the biggest surprise. Maybe it's not really a surprise. But Vince Dunn has, has really struggled in this series, especially when you're talking about, look, you need somebody to be able to step up and handle a Nathan McKinnon, step up and handle a Kale McCarr, Mikko Rantanen, whoever it is. Um, Vince Dunn. He's he's really struggling to do that, and and not only is he struggling to do it defensively and all of that, we're also not seeing the offense that we saw from him, the dynamic play in the offensive zone. Um, Vince Dunn, I think, has been um, surprising to a lot of play, a lot of people, RJ. But you know what? This is something quietly I was really worried about with him. Uh, obviously, it's a big glow up for him this year and what he was able to do uh, out there. He's probably going to get some down ballot Norris votes and all of that great stuff. Um, but when you're looking ahead, I you know there was there was always a part of me that was worried that this was just you know contract year kind of mirage and I, I really hate to, to say it and I do think that he has elevated his game he is a better player this year than he has been at any other point in his NHL career but it is very unusual uh, for a player in their sixth NHL season at the age of 26 to all of a sudden become that guy and and I was worried about that and I think we're maybe seeing a little bit of that right now in this series. 
And when you talk about playoff resume, I mean, Vince Dunn has won a Stanley Cup before, but he yeah. wasn't playing this top pairing, clear top pairing role uh, that he is with this Kraken team. And um, something that Haxtell was even okay to label. Uh, it was kind of funny at Morning Skate yesterday. He he was asked, you know, how well, how do you get the first line going? He said, well, what line's our first line? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the question I would ask back to you. And then someone later asked, well, do you have a top D pair? And he said, yes. And <laughs> it's Dunn Larson. Um, and, and I think Vince Dunn, unfortunately just hasn't been that difference maker in this series that he had been all regular season. And he was the Kraken's team MVP as voted by us, the media, um, not to take anything away from what he was able to do in the regular season. But um, I, I think at times he's just looked downright bad in the series and, and game three, especially, I just noticed yeah. him over and over again, making bad, dangerous plays. I mean, there, there was the, the one that stood out to me the most, well, I guess there's there's a couple, but the the pinch on the four on four, uh, when when Nathan McKinnon is out there, you have to make sure you get your reads right. And once he makes that pinch and loses, it's all over. Adam Larson, even though he had maybe a couple steps on McKinnon, there's no chance he's catching him. No chance right. anybody's catching him. And the second one too, and this was the most indicative to me, even more than the pinch, because like it's in the kind of heat of the moment type of thing. Do you want to go for it? Do you not? Um, was a play, I think it was in the second period, where Vince Dunn was behind his own net and he's waiting for the Kraken to get a yes. change. So he's hanging out there oh for like gosh. 10 seconds or so. He's got all day. He's got all the time in the world because they're getting a change. There's no pressure on him. And so when he finally decides to move the puck, and there's still nobody pressuring him. He doesn't have to move yep. it right away, but he sees something. He decides to move the puck, and he turns it over right onto Miko Rontanen's tape, right on the tape of his stick of the opponent. And he's able to walk in and get a really great scoring chance. I mean, thankfully, Grubauer was there, and the Avs didn't score on it. But that's the kind of play that tells me that Vince Dunn, is, something is not right. Uh, when he's making a, a clear turnover like that on a play where he's not even being pressured. Uh, and there were a few of those in this game. That's just, those are only a couple examples of, of some plays uh, that Vince Dunn made where you just go, you know, where is the guy from the regular season? And, and it's, it's worrying to me. Yeah, it's definitely worrying for me as well. Uh, that play in particular, oh my gosh, RJ. I mean, just to have that much time, and, and there's so many things that are iffy about it, right? Including going up the middle, trying to make a pass up the middle, uh, not skating it out yourself. Uh, but just, I mean, it was tape to tape. Like you would have thought they were on the same team. It was just solid right to them. And it's just like, how does that even happen? Like, I, I just don't even know. Um, it was it was brutal. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the fact that he's won a Stanley Cup before. That was, you know, back in that 2019 playoff run. So it was a little while ago. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, he wasn't in the same role. He is playing exactly right now, nine and a half more minutes down to the second, nine and a half more minutes <laughs> this playoffs than he played on average in that playoff run for St. Louis. And not only is he playing more minutes, but the level of competition that you know he's being matched up against is completely different than he was uh, back in St. Louis just because he was a third pairing guy. He was he was sheltered on that in that uh, Stanley Cup run because he was on that third pairing. You're on the first pairing now. You're out there. You're leading this team in in um, ice time. You got you. You just have to be better. It's is the bottom line. Somebody needs to step up. I understand that it's difficult. I understand that you're not going to be able to stop Nathan McKinnon all the time. Uh, he is that good. All that stuff. But even if you're not going to make the difference defensively, the offense needs to be there. And and he's pointless through these three games. Uh, the minus three. I know it's not the perfect stat, but even just you know only only a couple shots. 
only six shots in the three games. Like I'd like to see a little bit more there. We talked about the power play. That's been, that's been really rough. I don't know. There's, there's definitely some places where I feel like he can kind of step it up. And, and it's one of those things where it's, you know, pretty soon here, we're going to have to be talking about what the extension looks like for him. And, and you wonder what this might impact uh, in regards to that. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Then there's also the, the depth aspect to RJ and two of the names that I saw thrown around a ton yesterday um, was Ryan Donato and Daniel Sprong. And now Daniel Sprong, uh, we can kind of start with him because it's, I mean, there's just so much to talk about with Daniel Sprong this year. Obviously the goal scoring was fantastic from him and all of that stuff, but this is one where, you know, I talked about it. Dave Haxtall talked about it with, with Daniel Sprong. We talked, he talked about that when it was, you know, John Hayden was, was healthy and around and he was trying to recreate that fourth line so that that fourth line was going to be more ready for the playoffs. Uh, obviously John Hayden ultimately ends up getting hurt. Daniel Sprong finishes the regular season very strong. Um, but you know, caveat, full disclosure, we know he's dealing with something. Uh, he was dealing with something at the end of that regular season there through those through those couple days of practice before the series started. I think that that is probably contributing to to why he's been effectively a ghost out there for the Kraken so far. Um, but I do think that some of it is also just, you know, this is playoff hockey. You need to be responsible and, and be able to handle things going back your own way. And that was always the worry with Daniel Sprong. And unfortunately, we're seeing it again. Yeah, I think we are. And I, I hate to get too critical on a player in the playoffs that you know is dealing with an injury because chances are he is playing with something that would cause him to be out for regular season games. Yeah. I mean, if this was the regular season, he just might not even be in the lineup and, and he gets a pass because he's injured. But in the playoffs, players play injured and, and it can really affect their game. And so I, I want to preface everything we're about to say with that, just that that's probably what this is. But the result is that Daniel Sprong just isn't himself. Uh, he he hasn't looked very good on the fourth line. Um, and again, he's kind of a gadget player. There's limits to what he can do. He's not going to be the one finishing every check and, and, and kind of laying the body on everyone. He, he tried in game one. He had four hits in game one. It was pretty good. You could tell he was with the whole team's message of being more physical. But that's not something you can really sustain, especially if you're injured. Um, He's, he's not getting a whole lot of shots, too. He's got one shot each in the three games that, that the Kraken have played. Um, he's just not looking like that difference maker on the fourth line. And um, I don't know, you, you just wonder what's what's up with him. And I think that's the reason his ice time has, has been really dwindling. Um, you yeah. know, he, he played about seven and a half minutes the first game, almost nine minutes in the second game, but down to under six minutes in the third game. And as, as Dave Haxtell kind of stacked his lines and tried to get things going... Daniel Sprung wasn't a part of that. And even when there was a spot open on that uh, on that second line where Sprung is slotted in there in the past, if you're trying to bring more offense to that, uh, he's clearly not who Dave Haxtell is looking for in those situations. Um, and it's unfortunate because he was somebody who you know, maybe we thought might be an X factor. If the Kraken's depth, when they've been on this season, Daniel Sprung's been a big reason why. Yeah, he really has been. And it's, I mean, there's some, there's some levels of what we're used to seeing from him, right? Like there's, he's still able to get in there and frustrate a defense. He's drawn a couple penalties. Like that's super solid. Um, there, there are those aspects of his game that are still there and they're still intriguing and they're still good. Uh, but yeah, I think whether it's, 
whether it's the issues, um, you know, maybe defending in the overall team game or, or it's the injury. You mentioned the limited ice time he had in game three. And that's with him getting a ton of power play time just because the power play was out there a bunch, right? Subtract the power play time from it. I mean, does he even have two minutes? I don't, It's close. You know what I mean? Yeah. The even strength ice time is not very much. And also the power play. I mean, he has to be given some of the responsibility yep. for the power play struggles. He is a part of that power play. And especially uh, in the last maybe month or so of the season, the power play has kind of gone how Sprong has gone. Whenever they've had success, he's been a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he's not, they they just look kind of hopeless yeah and so again it's another one where this is going to be an interesting contract situation we've talked about that all year long i still think you know that's better saved for the off season when we really try to dig into all of those things but you really do wonder does this playoff series inform what the team wants to do with this player and 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 impact that because you know at the end of the day as the kraken do transition from a team that's trying to make the playoffs to a team that is trying to win in the playoffs which is going to be that transition that they're going to be making within the organization you know this upcoming off season it's one of those things that you have to keep in mind and yes this playoff you know if the kraken get bounced here in the first round it's going to be an extremely small sample size that you're working off of but it's going to be one that's going to be really important and i think really indicative of how the kraken are going to uh, handle the players that they have you know on expiring contracts they're going to look and see what they did for this team on this postseason run um, because they're 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 planning on having a lot more postseason runs and and you want to make sure that you've got the personnel for it ryan donato was that other player rj talked about him earlier he's He's being successful on the faceoffs. I still don't feel like he's the answer to your fourth line center. Uh, we've talked. I, you know, we didn't really talk about that during the regular season all that much. I like Ryan Donato a lot. He's he's a player I'd like to see the Kraken maybe stick with. I like what he can do on the wing in a depth role. Um, but fourth line center wise, I mean, he's winning the faceoffs. But there's, you know, the fourth line is not the fourth line that we saw really all season long. No, and it's not the ideal spot for him, too. I mean, he's he's kind of just playing center and spot duty there. It's not really his natural position. I'd like to see what he could do as a winger. The Kraken just don't have the luxury of that kind of depth. If you had Andre Burakovsky on that second line, you could move Morgan Geeky to fourth line center, and Ryan Donato could do his aggressive forechecking and do everything mm-hmm. that, that he really does so well. Um, then maybe you'll see something different, but... He's he's in a tough role, and I think he's struggling a little bit in that role. And, and maybe part of that is you know is is playing with uh, with a Sprong and and maybe a Jesper Froden who aren't the biggest difference makers either. It's a tough assignment, yeah. um, but he hasn't really been able to break through. And again, he's not playing a lot either. He's basically playing seven minutes a night, and it's hard to make a big difference in that amount of ice time. The Kraken have found ways to do that on their fourth line mm-hmm. all season, uh, but just it, it's hard to do in this situation in the playoffs especially when it's all moving around so much like i think i don't want to be too critical of donato because this is a really tough assignment for him but maybe it is something the team looks at going forward again when you look at how their forward group is going to shake out with shane wright going to be joining the team uh, there's really only one spot left between geeky donato and sprong you kind of only keep one really that's going to get regular ice time and and who does it go to I'm thinking Donato and Sprong, you know, it's looking less and less likely here, especially with Morgan Geeky playing well. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason discussion that we'll have and lots of discussions within the Kraken front office as well. Um, 
last last thing for me anyway uh is the first line i feel like we do have to talk about the first line and and their struggles well what line is the first line dylan well, I, the maddie Benier's line maddie Benier's line because you know what all year the team has been saying that for calder reasons right that he's he's on a playoff team and he's centering the first line because that's a big part of the calder pitch for maddie Benier's. so i guess if you know we're gonna say it for that we got to say it for this too just in the interest of fairness um but this maddie Benier's line is is struggling and they've struggled through all three games they're not totally struggling it's not like quite the levels of like the fourth line struggles or something but i i feel like just the fact that they're not scoring is is a, a story because this is a line that not only has Matty Beniers and all the numbers he's been able to put up, it's got a veteran in Jordan Eberle and it's got your 40 goal scorer in Jared McCann. And and Jared McCann, you know, one assist through this. I, I, I he's somebody I want to talk about. Matty Beniers, we talked about the faceoff stuff. Don't need to go over that again. But Matty Beniers, he just looks like a different player to me. He looks a little bit more timid. He's not trying to go win some of the same physical battles that he was beforehand. I don't know if the team told him to do that or he's just trying to get used to the speed and intensity of the playoffs. Um, but I, I think that that's part of the story here. I don't know. You could pick anything you want to talk about with this first line, RJ. I just think that it's one of those ones where if the Kraken are going to win the close games like game two of this series, that first line has to step up. Right. And it was one of the biggest storylines going into game three is kind of how do you get that line going? Because I think the Kraken just aren't going to go very far if, if you don't get it going. And they did a little bit in game three. I mean, Matty Beniers scored a huge goal yep. in that one. I think that gave him a lot of confidence. He looked more confident after that. That line looked better uh, after that after that sequence. And so I think that's going to be big for their their confidence, the momentum going forward. But yeah, through the first two games, I mean, they were they were pretty much invisible. And I, I think that's a problem. I think part of that is they just don't have as much time and space to work with. I think part of that is a function of playoff hockey part of that's just Colorado and getting tough matchups um, but that line tends to do better when they've got time and space to make a play and I want to talk about Jared McCann because yeah he's the Kraken's 40 goal scorer not getting a whole lot done production wise so far in this series and we know he has an absolutely lethal shot but I, I can't think of really many times where he's had the space and the ability to kind of let that go. I mean, you, he does like to have a little bit of that extra room. That's why he's so good on the power play when he's able to circle up high and just walk it in for a little bit as he picks his spot that takes time and space. And the abs certainly on the power play are just not giving him that at all. And I think it is, it is kind of frustrating him at this point. Um, and so we'll see if I think you kind of have to manufacture that form a little bit, whether that's, you know, drawing up certain plays to, to give him some more space. Because um, you look at the goal, the Beneers goal they generated, like McCann was just in there behind the net as a four checker, digging that mm -hmm. puck loose. Like that's not his usual spot. Um, so I, I think you just, yeah. And I think Jordan Eberle also is the third part of this. He's usually the guy who provides that space by being a playmaker for Beniers and McCann. And I haven't really noticed him hardly at all in this series. Yeah, it's it's been rough. What's what's crazy is like we talk about not really noticing them, and then you sort this team by shots. And you got Jaden Schwartz leading the way with eight shots. Jordan Everly tied with Ryan Donato for second on the team with seven shots each. So I guess oh, Donato's man. doing something there. Uh and so is Eberly. And then Maddie Beneers and Jared McCann in a sea of a bunch of people with six shots um apiece. But it's it's one of those where yes they're getting shots and i can think of some of those shots that this line is getting but they're low percentage shots 
There's shots where, you know, you're just sending it right into the goaltender. Nobody's really there for a rebound. It's just this is the line more than any that I feel like is having a hard time penetrating the Colorado defense, getting guys to the inside, getting guys net front. Um, I know kind of in the regular season that was more Maddie's role, but as Maddie's struggling with the more physical sides of playoff hockey, you're seeing that kind of whole situation break down uh, for the line. And and I think that that's something that they're going to have to to address or maybe Hackstall is going to have to line match a little bit more than he maybe wants to uh, so that you can maybe just try to get this line going in the first period of the fourth game. Send them out there against the fourth or third lines for Colorado. Let them go up against some lesser competition and, and see if that can get them going a little bit. And then that confidence and, and momentum can carry them through the rest of the game or maybe the rest of the series. Um, because otherwise I I just think you're just going to continue to see more of the same for this line which is just not much and I think back to those games uh, toward the end of the season against the Coyotes the one where Maddie was in there on the four check taking out two Coyotes defenders that are just bowling into him um, and what they were able to create doing that and it this just feels like such a different situation you're not playing Arizona anymore these yep. these are some really good defensemen here that you're dealing with, and uh, it's just not that easy. You're going to have to find ways to to work through that, and and maybe that even means just kind of le- taking the lessons this year and applying them next year. Like I don't know how much you can even do, you know, given where he's at right now. We forget he's still 20 years old. Oh yeah, <laughs> like like it's it's really tough to change things on just a game to game basis every other day i think these might be some longer term lessons that he needs to kind of take apply and grow um that you know we need to preach patience on this cuz we might not see the solution now i believe certainly we'll see it eventually um but we got to remember that timeline yep and you know you talk about that that play maddie veneers only oliver bjorkstrand has less hits than maddie veneers amongst the forward group for the seattle kraken right now uh but as you said he's 20 like it's it's one of those like there's uh, all these guys that we've talked about it feels like we could find a, a way to give them a pass and and certainly they do deserve it but at the same time like you know it's it's the playoffs and and a lot of Kraken fans are really excited about all this and everything and and I do think that it's you know it's important to talk about the things that they're struggling with and and everything as well uh but as you said with Matty Beniers especially we talk about this with the cores we can kind of um come to a conclusion here on this very long podcast uh is is talk about you know the, the future for this team and how bright the future is because of Matty Beniers. This this playoff is going to mean so much for a player like him, for the other young guys or the other guys on this team that don't have a ton of playoff experience because, you know, you and I both talked about it. All these groups, all these like, you know, dynasties or almost dynasty teams around the NHL that we've seen this past decade and a half, they were all groups that had to lose first. And they, they had to go through some brutal playoff series beforehand to kind of learn what it takes to overcome those things and, and move forward and win as a unit. And, and I think that that's something that is just it's a part of the natural evolution in the NHL. Nobody's able to really come together. Look at this Colorado team. Last year, they had to completely sell out. And it was like, hey, everybody's losing their jobs if this doesn't work. You know what I mean? Because it had failed so many times before. And then Colorado was finally able to make it happen. I don't want the Kraken to get to that level or that place. <laughs> but I do think that it's one of those that you do have to learn the hard lessons the hard way uh, if you're going to succeed in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. So um, I, I think that that's this, you know, whatever happens the rest of this series is going to be nothing but positives long term for the Kraken and certainly for players like Matty Beniers. 
Yeah, and you look no further than the team that's on the other side of the ice that went through this, you know, a little while ago. But when you look back at the 2018 Colorado Avalanche that lost in the first round, you know, their first season making the playoffs after, you know, in their current iteration. You had um, a 22-year-old Nathan McKinnon. Uh, you had a 19-year-old Samuel Girard, a 21-year-old Miko Rantanen. Uh, these guys learning those valuable lessons at those times. 25-year-old Gabriel Landeskog. I mean, you can just go down the list of, of the core that they have that ended up winning them a Stanley Cup 22 year old JT Comfer I mean it's, they're all there and they're gaining that experience and it didn't come right away I mean they had to learn those lessons and, and it was several years before they ended up combining to, to win a Stanley Cup but those are the series that, that kind of forge the lessons and, and teach you what it takes um, and I think for the Kraken playing against a, a team that's the defending champions I mean I, I can't imagine a, a better kind of place to learn and, and get those lessons uh, than against Colorado. And that's not to say the series is over. Kraken still got have a, have a good chance in that. But whatever happens in yep. the series, I think you're going to have some valuable takeaways. Uh, and it, it's it's just money in the bank. We've talked about that just going yep. into the playoffs. Like the, no matter what, they're in a good situation going forward. Yep, absolutely. Again, in Ron, we trust. And Ron said three to five year plan or in year two. It's, it's it's ahead of schedule if this is what the, if the schedule was playoffs in year three we're ahead of schedule even if it's not and and you know the important thing is to remember Matty Beneers getting that experience this year next year Shane Wright will get that experience right like we're going to go through this again with him next year um so you know it's it really is one of those where it's exciting when you're in the playoffs and you want to win when you're in the playoffs but um really the 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 brightness that is the that is around the Seattle Kraken organization is in the future and it might be you know more than this year more than even next year uh, as far as being out there but boy the 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 ability just to think of one day RJ Matty Beneers going out there leading scoring being what Nathan McKinnon is right out right now for Colorado out there and then having somebody like a Shane Wright to to shut down the Nathan McKinnons of the world uh as your other center I mean that is just something that is going to be really really special to watch one day uh once we get there it's just Gosh, waiting for it is going to take a long time, and it's going to it's going to feel like a long time, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, you got to enjoy the progression. Though, I know. And I think this I is. I'd rather have this than like you know Vegas getting to the Cup final in year one, and then just not having gotten back there since. Panicking like, every year after. Way... Yeah, this is the better way to do it. I think. I I totally agree. Uh, you and I are definitely on the same page there. I think a lot of the community is as well. Uh, I want to thank everybody for, for joining us for this podcast. Thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring it as always. And we will see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane? Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Stephen, Striatic, 
Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.